We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. In movies and shows we enjoy, there is often an important character we don't see, one that influences emotions of scenes and our entire experience. I'm speaking about the music score. This episode's guest runs a company that helps creators find their sound. Wellington has solid roots in music. He not only grew up in a household where music was always around him in all forms, he also started playing piano at the age of eight. He has turned his creative passions into a successful business. I can't think of a better eager to know story. I am pleased to share my conversation with musician, composer, and entrepreneur, Wellington Laura. Welcome to Eager to Know. How are you doing today? Good. The greatest podcast that ever was. No big deal. (laughs) Thanks for acknowledging that. We need need like an epic intro. You're an epic guy with an epic podcast. (laughs) So I want to start the conversation by you telling me about scoring movies, scoring television. I know nothing about scoring. I know that I go to movies and I hear music and sometimes it registers to me. Sometimes it doesn't. So I want to know all about that job yeah. and what, what that, that universe of scoring. So it, can, it always starts with, you know, a brief where you'll receive a brief from producer, a director, someone in the space that's needing music for their project. And it's usually preliminary where they'll give you some ideas of scores that they like, some songs that they may like. And it's basically our job to figure out how to give them that feeling without copying it, in a sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it isn't necessarily that they like them, but it's that they feel like it expresses or extends their movie. Yeah, it evokes the emotion that they want to portray in their film. Okay. And so it's yeah. all, so it's all about emotion. Correct. It's all about it's, it's emotion. O- it's always about emotion, always about feeling and helping people feel something with the music that the visual is already portraying, but the music is just going to enhance. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Clockwork Orange? I have not. Okay. Well, there's a couple of scenes. It's a very dark movie, very gruesome movie in many ways, but yet there's some parts of it that always seem to go back to the score of uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, which is very epic, very like upbeat, very like also powerful. And, you know, Kubrick obviously is a genius at what he does. And like, I don't think, you know, I think that there was a reason why he chose that soundtrack for a lot of the scenes in the movie, because they were meant to evoke something or say something. And that's what I think, you know, movie scores do. They help to either help you feel something or maybe help you help the the director or whomever portray a certain message that you want that needs to be delivered that maybe is not necessarily being delivered with the video or picture, um, but sonically, you know? Yeah. What comes to mind is Jaws. And I had heard that Steven Spielberg had said that there were so many problems with the mechanical shark in filming Jaws that they they had very little footage that was usable for the shark. So he ended up using the 
gore as the shark. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And it's one of the most well-known scores ever of any movie. And which 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 is interesting because it's simple. It's simple. That's what I was just going to say. It's so simple and and immediately recognizable and it it evokes that emotion. Yeah. I think uh, we as composers, we tend to overthink things when sometimes the simplest route sometimes is usually the best route. Is there a lot of dialogue that's going on when you're trying to, between you and your client, or is it mostly just sending them music? It, it all depends on who, who I'm talking to. Some people trust in the process and you present them options and they can usually see the vision. Sometimes they have their own vision and you may not be necessarily getting their vision to where it needs to be. So there's more dialogue there. But in essence, it's always a discovery. It's always a, a journey to figure out where we want to go and how you know we want to take someone on this journey musically and sonically. That sounds so interesting. And it sounds like you need to be comfortable in going on a journey where it's not, you're not in a situation where you have a locked down plan you are, you know, and this is the creative process in general, but you have a starting direction and it is a journey, as you said, and that's something that you have to be comfortable with. Absolutely. You know, when I first started, you know, I think there was a lot of discovery of my own. Like I know, I know I was given gifts as a young child when it comes to music, but I was never confident in those gifts until I actually started to get into it and actually do the work and realize that you know, I knew where I needed to go or how I could help people find their sound, but was never confident in that. And it took many years to obviously get there. And then, you know, it, it's still a journey, but I think that doing it for as long as I have has given me the confidence to know and understand where I need to be at and how I can help others find where it is that they need to be at when it comes to music. Nice. Helping others find their sound. We all, we all have a frequency, right? Our beats, our, our hearts are all beating and we all vibrate at a certain frequency and it's like trying to figure out what that frequency is. Nice. I have so many things that I want to talk to you about, but let's go back to your gifts as a kid. You mentioned that you were given gifts as a kid musically. Can you tell me about that? What, what, what is that? Yeah, it, it's, it's hearing things that I think that nobody else could hear, right? Mm maybe as an artist you can relate where it's like you can see things and interpret them with your painting that maybe others could not do right when did you realize that you were able to do that and that other people couldn't i think when i was introduced to an instrument like i actually started taking piano lessons when i was eight years old as i started doing that it was something i would see i would see it sometimes i would hear it and i would feel it whereas i think other people necessarily I'd say oh do you hear that sound right there like let's say a song is playing and I'd tell maybe one of my friends oh you, you hear what it's doing right there like that thing and they'd be like what do you mean and I'd be like right there that, that, that thing you know the the thing to the thing you know wherever, whatever it might be and they may not hear it and I'm like oh okay and you would almost question yourself like wait a minute am I am I not what, what's wrong with me for a second there and it's almost like this discovery of like wait a minute I can kind of hear and see things that I never that I maybe other people are not able to hear. I think learning the piano and understanding it and making music and melodies helped to unlock and activate this part of my brain that I never really kind of knew existed 
and like was like a doorway. <laughs> I was like, whoa, what the heck is that? You know, um, it was really interesting. I, I it, it's hard to remember moments, but like as a kid, but it's like you could feel it, you know, um, where it's just like you just felt something shift and you're like, wait, something's different here, at least for me. That's fantastic. I know you and I spoke on the phone that I recently started learning piano. The way that I started it was I went on YouTube and I took all of the free videos on music theory. Yeah. And I thought it was the most fascinating thing that I had ever seen. Learning about the, and I'm going to forget all the words, but you have, oh, the keys, like you have yeah. key of C. Sure. And how you have the scale and how the scale changes from full notes to half notes. It's almost like the people that discovered music understood how the brain receives it and how it reacts. You know what I mean? Which relates to what you do in your work, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Because you're not telling people how to feel with your music. People are feeling based on how our brains work. Yeah, and definitely. I, and I guess my point is, when I started understanding music theory, I realized this is not just what sounds good. This is like hardwired in how our brains receive frequencies. Does any of this make sense? Absolutely. I mean, it's vibration. It's it's melody. I mean, it's 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 so many different things all rolled into one that help you vibrate this feeling. Because I think it's vibration, right? I mean, every instrument, I think, has some sort of a vibration to it when you play a chord and that, you know, that piece of the piano strikes, you know, the string within the piano or the guitar strums or the p or the drum hits. It's all, a vibra it's all vibration and it's all vibrating at a certain frequency that evokes that feeling. I think that, well, it's part of it. I think also the the way you play the keys also and the melody and the chord that you might interpret is part of it as well but the the vibration of it i think is a big part of it also where you just it helps to to help you evoke that feeling and feel it in your body like physically um yeah along along with the ears once once the melodies are played yeah the other night uh, a friend of mine comes over and plays on my piano sometimes and uh last week he came over and he was sitting here and he was playing something and it was in the key of something weird, like G. Yeah. Because I, I was like looking over his shoulder. Yeah. So like we're enjoying it. And then I said, Alex, play that in the key of C. I want to see what that sounds like. Yeah. And it went from a very light and airy sound mm -hmm. to a much more serious sound. But it was the same song. So cool. Yeah, it's interesting how just a couple of notes can change the whole feel of something. I mean, if you change the key of something, I mean, it just it's like a totally different piece, literally. And and will make you feel something totally different. Like G to C or, or you know, a C is a C major is more happier, but but depending on where he he took it to, if it went darker, possibly a minor key cuz usually minor keys are darker, not all, but but most mostly are are darker and more dissonant. So yeah, it's like crazy how you can just change that just with a couple of notes and, and it's just something totally different. Learning piano is basically executing somebody else's creative, you know, vision or creation and you're just reproducing it. At some point, I know that it changed for you where you were creating your own thing. I know that you got involved in a band where you guys were writing your own music. 
Can I tell me about like that experience of having all of this foundational knowledge of how music works with years of piano to actually creating music? I always played music, you know, always created my own music, like, you know, just on the piano. And I really wanted to play in a band. And I, and I had an opportunity to play in a band. It was a Dominican band that played merengue, which is a form of Dominican music. And it was the first time I was ever in a room with like 10 other musicians. We had trumpets, saxophone, you know, congas, drums, and bass and piano. And I'm just like, whoa, it was like overwhelming, but exciting at the same time. And I got to understand and see what it was like to be and play with live players, you know, um, other people's music. And it helped to kind of introduce me to like, okay, I think I can make stuff music for the band that needed new music at the time. And so I would buy these little MIDI keyboards and I figured out how to connect my MIDI keyboard to my, um, you know, my, uh, my, my computer at the time, which was like a Dell. <laughs> and um, literally Frankenstein the thing, took out the sound card, replaced it with the newer, you know, newer, better sound card, connected it and just figured it out, you know, and started to make arrangements and started to compose music for the band. And, you know, I composed the music that they would play live. And that was like a crazy thing because being able to create something and then them actually play it live was kind of a crazy, <laughs> crazy feeling. What was it like to compose something and then have a band play it for the first time? Like, what does that, what's that like? It was amazing. It was difficult because it's like, all I was looking for was the mistakes. It's like, oh, I could have made this note go this way instead. Or, oh, I didn't really write the right, you know, melody for the trumpet players. I should have, do it, I should have done it here instead because doing it live versus, you know, me and my computer, two totally different things. I'm using the sound, the MIDI sounds of my computer versus like a live trumpet. And it helped me to understand just like what a real trumpet might do versus like what my fingers playing a MIDI trumpet might do. Because I didn't take into consideration that trumpet players and saxophone players need to breathe. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I would play melodies um, very like in a not organic way, you know, thinking that, oh, I should be able to do this. But not understanding that is like, it's blowing. It's, you know, there's a lot more other mechanics involved. How did you get involved in actually scoring music? You, you know, you have this foundation of learning piano, learning music. You transition into creating music for your band, which I guess is somewhat of creating, it's your creative vision. Mm -hmm. Then you transition to helping other creative people find the sound for their creative project. How did that happen? So I, I've, you know, after my band, like I always loved creating music and like, it was really just for myself. I thought maybe I could create music for artists or, you know, um, that could be a, a route, which I did take and, and ended up did, you know, I did create music for artists later on. But at the time it was more like just me discovering like my, being more visible, I guess, putting myself out there, like that I created music for, that created music period. And that if maybe there was an artist that wanted some music, maybe I could work with them or give them some of my music to write a song to. Did you put yourself out there with a sense of confidence? Or did you put yourself out there like, Ugh, you know, I hope 
people don't laugh at me because I'm yeah. I'm coming off as a as a, a composer and I don't have a lot of background. Tell me about the emotions of doing that. Yeah, I'll tell you. Like when I first started making music, I was very confident, and and because I just knew, like I didn't know anybody else that did what I did, and man, I would make stuff and I'd be like, man, this is amazing. Of like people are gonna love this. So I actually did have a lot of confidence. I'd go out there and I'd be like, this is my stuff. As I'm scoring things and and making myself more visible to my community that I make music and people that I know and, and putting it out there. I had a friend who was shopping around a, um, a TV show. She paid money to produce a, a cooking show. And <clears throat> she knew I did music and came to me and was like, hey, you know, like I'm, I need music for my show. I said, cool. Created a couple of things for her, sent her some existing music. And I said, go ahead, go, go crazy, whatever you need. And so she picked songs that she liked and she included them in her production and she shopped it around to like actual TV networks. And one of the networks that she shopped it to was uh, MTV. And MTV was like, oh, we really don't like the show, but, but who did the music? We like really liked the music. And so she was nice enough to connect me to the producer at the time, which initially started my career in scoring music for television. And so at some point you went from doing that to really turning this into a business where you are. So, so tell me about the business that you run and what you offer and what value you're bringing. Yeah. So I, I own and run a, a company named the Cuniverse. We are a, a music library with over 30,000 original instrumental tracks. Um, we're a custom music company, which means that we create custom music for TV, for film, for brands. And we're an audio post house. So meaning we can mix and master whatever audio you have to prepare it for digital and broadcast distribution. And throughout the years, you know, we've been able to place thousands of tracks in different TV shows on MTV, on shows like Jersey Shore on shows like um, Catfish, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, Shaws of Sunset, MTV Cribs, um, a lot of reality television shows throughout the years that we've you know been able to work with, um, along with great brands like Amazon, Reebok, Adidas, Nike, um, you know brands of that caliber as well. This journey that you've gone from one thing to another that's been different, is it because you are just open to what's happening and making the best of it? Or are you more of a focused, I'm going to shift gears onto this new thing? I think you can't have one without the other, in my opinion. I think that you can understand and see where things are shifting and adapt. But I think that it, you can also do that with your own vision. So it's like being able to be laser focused with what your goal is and how it is that you want to conquer this next stage of whatever is coming, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And you can be laser focused on what you're doing, but sometimes if you don't get the results, you have to be open to changing. Is that, is, I'm not, I don't want Absolutely. to be putting words yeah. in your mouth. Well, I think adapting, I think is better. My biggest fear, to be honest, is to, is to um, I guess, one day be blockbuster. You know, I, I use Blockbuster as an example because Blockbuster was always obviously well known for videos and a rental place for videos. And 
Netflix came along and Blockbuster had an opportunity to buy Netflix and also maybe even possibly adapt the model of Netflix. And because they didn't adapt, they died. And so I feel like my, my goal in life is just not never to be Blockbuster and to always be able to adapt and adapt to any and all situations and, and be like water. I know in the world of graphic design, there are what resonated with people in the 70s isn't what we see today. So there's kind of like the language changes. I'm assuming that the language of music and scoring is changing all the time too. How do you how do you keep up with what is where things are headed and what is becoming out of date? I think it's I think that comes from within like being the being that innovator and you being that person that's going to say, well, this is that new sound that I think you should gravitate towards because and and figuring out what that is. I mean, that would be like number 1 that I would think, but I think it's also from a more practical standpoint, it's understanding what people are, you know, grooving to right now. What are they liking on the radio? What are they liking in the clubs? What do they like listening to on Spotify or Apple Music? Um, understanding what those music trends are and being able to incorporate, whether it be big 808s and hi-hats or interesting organic melodies that are a little bit different than what they were 10 years ago um, into your music. What people are listening on Apple Music and Spotify, is that cutting hedge where things are going or is that more where everybody is right now? I think it's both. I think I, it's obviously where everybody is, but I think it's also a, a discovery tool where people are finding new things and saying, hey, this could be cool or this is cool and you know, making it popular because it, it's good music. And which could inevitably be that next new thing. So I remember when I was a kid, there would be Casey Kasem's American Top 40. Mm -hmm. And I remember if I, I didn't really listen to it, but I remember if I listened to it, whatever was the number one song, I was like, people are still listening to that. <laughs> like in my world, that was so yesterday. Sure, I couldn't sure. even believe that that yeah. was the number one song because I had definitely moved beyond that. And I don't know, it's just a, an, an interesting... You know, pop music is, is very interesting. I love pop music. And I think that pop music is very formu formulaic, if that's the word, where it's like, it's a formula you follow to have a basic construction of what a pop song is, whether it be like a chorus or verse sequence or even even tempo. Uh, all these factors could factor into like what makes a very popular pop song. Um, so it is interesting and there's no, there's no code, but I think that there is a formula. Whereas, you know, you have certain elements and you might get pretty close to understanding what a pop song or at least a hit song is. Now being able to actually recreate it is another story, but you can have the formula. And I think that's what a lot of folks follow whether it's chord progressions that get used over and over again throughout the years um, or, or tempo, which I think are two very, very important things that people follow when it comes to like making a hit song.
I remember when Madonna's Like a Virgin came out, and yeah. that song sounded so different from anything that I had heard as a pop song. And I remember thinking, well, this isn't going to be very popular. Yeah, I think, I think different, definitely, for sure, is one of those things that when people hear something different, but that also sounds familiar, is, is something that resonates with people. Like in the early 2000s, there was a production duo named the Neptunes, which was compromised of Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo. And they had a sound in hip hop and in pop and in R&B that was just so different that you couldn't stop listening to it. You know, there were jazzy chords coupled with big bass sounds. And it was something like you've never heard before. And they became so popular that at one point they, their production was occupying 40% of of what's being played on the radio because that's how in demand their production was and to me that's one that's a very good example and a big influence on me whereas you heard something that you just you're just like what is this but like it made you feel something well cool i think what you're in for for work is such a powerful medium obviously you know better than i do but i mean music is so universal and also, it, it taps into a part of our brain that is very much tied towards memories. I mean, when you hear a song, I think at least when I hear a song from like the 70s, yeah, I remember a specific instance of like, I hear this song and I remember being in my backyard playing on my picnic table. You know, it just maps to yeah. something in your brain and then you have this emotion part that makes it so powerful, like we talked about with Jaws. And it's just, I, I am so envious that that's what you get to be in every day. It's fascinating. Thank you. I do enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. It is, I, I made it a point a long time ago to make sure that I was doing a job or providing a service to people that I enjoyed. So um, I think part of it is, could be luck, but I think a lot of us, just are des destined to be in certain positions in life, I guess. I, don't, I like to think that. Wonderful. Is there any tips that you could give to people that are wanting to do something that resonates with their core, like you're doing? I think it's cliche, but I think that you always got to follow your heart and what you feel, you know, in your body. Like, does this job feel good to me? does what I'm doing feel good to me, you know? And sometimes your body tricks you like, well, hey, you got to do it because you got to pay rent. And, you know, I'm not saying to, to quit your job tomorrow, but I think that it's a voice worth listening to and not putting to the back of your mind and really paying attention to what your mind and maybe even your body are trying to tell you. There was a point where I was working a nine to five job and it was very comfortable and it was something that I could do in my sleep. But then something inside me said, all right, well, we got to do something. Like there's got to be something clicked. And I didn't just quit the next day. I slowly, I did my nine to five. And then I used to call it my six to two job where I'd work from 6 p.m. to two in the morning on what it is that I really wanted to do. And working on that to the point where it was outpacing and outperforming money-wise what I was doing with my nine to five job, that's when I was like, okay, let's quit now. So you do it, you do it, you do it conservatively. So something was telling you 
that you needed to do something else that was more in line with your heart and your body. It sounds like it's a, a physical aspect. Is that something that you were hearing all the time or was it when you were quiet? Because I know that we're a lot of times with jobs, there's so much stuff coming in that that's all your brain can process. And that other voice that you mentioned, uh, you can't really hear it. It's like that movie, Horton Hears a Who. Right. Do you remember that? <laughs> right, we're yeah, here, absolutely. we're here. Like you it's can't like, hear it. Right. So how were you able to hear it? Did you ever see the movie The Matrix? Yes. Okay. So you remember the the code that was kind of fall, the green coating that would fall down the screen? Yeah. Think of like the green coating as like all the everyday noise of like life. And then I'd see one little code that was just different enough for me to pay attention to. Nice. And I'd be like, what? What? It's like you, you, you go in for a closer look like, what's in, what is that? And it's like, you know, you being told to take the, you know, I forget what pill it was, the red pill or blue pill or, and it's like, oh, there's something else there, something trying to break through to tell, send me a message. And I think we as people conditioned in the society that we're in, we don't really pay attention to these things sometimes. And uh, it, it, I guess it broke through enough for me to pay attention to and actually listen. That's, I, I guess that's the best way for me to describe it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, it sounds like it is good that you listened. It's good yeah. that it broke through <laughs> and you listened. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I have a lot of gratitude for what it is that I'm able to do and, and the gifts I've been given. So I just try to give those gifts to the world in any way that I can. Wonderful. Wellington, thank you so much for talking to me. This was awesome. Thank you, brother. And great to be able to share the, this creative space with you, another fellow creative. So thank you. My name is Ricky McGeckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast.